Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Tommy Greenwald, author of the Charlie Joe Jackson series, as well as the novel Jack Strong Takes a Stand. In August, the fourth Charlie Joe Jackson book, Charlie Joe Jackson's Guide to Making Money, will be published by Roaring Book Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the new book, Charlie Joe tries a variety of schemes to try to bring in some much-needed spending money, ideally without doing any actual work in the process. Whether it's dog walking or helping out at his father's office, nothing goes as planned. Meanwhile, between his long-standing crush on his classmate Hannah, who he considers the closest thing to perfection in human form, the reappearance of his ex-girlfriend Zoe, and his friendship with Katie Friedman, things aren't exactly running smoothly on the romantic front either. Uh, Tommy, thank you for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, so these books have been touted as being kind of great for reluctant readers, and it sounds like that was actually a little bit part of your aim from the start. Is that right? Uh, it's exactly the aim from the start, John. I, uh, I have three boys of my own, Charlie, Joe, and Jack, uh, which is where the name Charlie Joe Jackson comes from, although that was not planned uh, 20 years ago when, <laughs> my first, uh, when I had my first boy. But uh, I was a big reader growing up, and when I had my own kids, I was very much looking forward to sharing my love of reading and books with them, and they did not participate as planned. They were... Um, kind of allergic to reading from the get-go, and it was heartbreaking and frustrating at first, as any parent or educator can attest to, uh, to get reluctant readers to read. So it was really born out of that frustration as they grew up and grew into their middle school, middle grade years. Um, finding books that would gain their attention and characters that they could relate to. Characters that were great people, great kids, just did not particularly like reading. And uh, that that was really the impetus for, for writing the first book, Charlie Joe Jackson's Guide to Not Reading, and it kind of grew from there. And were your, were your sons sort of at that same middle school age, at least some of them, when, when you started writing that first book? Yeah, I would say my youngest, Jack, was... In the throes of middle school, the other guys were starting to age out of middle school. But um, I'd had so much um, by osmosis experience with the middle school attitude, both both with them and their friends, that when I started the writing process, it was it was in- ingrained in my blood, and uh, and I kind of based a lot of their friends on and, and their and Charlie Joe's relationships with his friends uh, on my own kids and their relationships with their friends, and so it was it was great to have kind of the primary resource right there in the house as I as I plunged in. And uh, you know, you mentioned uh, sort of being an avid reader as, as a kid and as a teen. What were the sort of books you were gravitating toward at that time? It's a good question uh, to, 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 to test my memory. I mean, I do remember, I, I talk to kids all the time, and I, and I tell them that the first book I remember kind of reading over and over again was Are You My Mother, which was this great picture book about a bird looking for his mom. And kids uh, always ooh and ah and recognition because I guess that's still a favorite among, among kids, too. And uh, I just remember reading all the Matt Christopher sports books when I was a kid. I was a huge sports sports guy too, and I just those books kind of struck the, the the perfect balance for me between stuff I was interested in and just books in general. There was this there's this kind of obscure book I remember loving called The Bully of Barkham Street, which I don't think is in print anymore, but kind of was an early prototype for 
the bully as misunderstood kid kind of genre that I just remember affecting me deeply. And I just, you know, was, was always into, always into reading and, and, um, I still am. I still, you know, devour novels of all shapes, both adults and kids' books. Um, but as uh, as many of us know, it's not a genetic, not a genetic trait, unfortunately, and it became much more of a challenge in my own house with my own kids. Mm-hmm. And have, have things uh, gotten any? I want to say better on that front, but has there been <laughs> any change, or, or is it still a little bit of a ongoing uh, struggle? It's, it's it's funny. I get asked that a lot at at. at school visits too is like do your kids love to read now and the honest answer is they do not love to read now but they like it a heck of a lot more than they did when they were littler and it's an evolutionary process and i think as kids get a little older um, my two older boys are in college now they are allowed to pick and choose what they read more than they were when they were in school of course some of the books that, that kids read in school they love but some they don't respond to at all and every time they are forced to read a book that they don't respond to it sets the sets the the objective back a little bit of, of turning them into readers. But as they're able to pick and choose more and more what they read, it becomes more of a, a kind of an evolutionary process and easier for them to realize that reading can be great and important part of their life. So they're, they're not as allergic to it as they once were. Um, they don't necessarily come home and pick up a book as soon as they have a, a minute of free time. It's somewhere in the middle now, but but I'll take that. It's, it's good enough for me, and the and the and the progress is is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I believe the Charlie and Joe Jackson books are, are your first, and uh, but you've worked in some sort of creative fields for a while, right? True, true. I still have my day job as a uh, creative director and strategy officer at a place called Spotco, which does advertising for Broadway shows. I work in New York City and live in Connecticut. And so I commute. And I actually, when I started writing my books, um, the first book entirely was written on the train going back and forth into New York City. I still do some writing on the train. The Metro North is nothing if not good for uh, getting some work done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The trips are getting longer and longer. So I guess the upside of that is that uh, more time for writing. Um, so now how was it that the uh, the Charlie Joe Jackson books ended up uh, sort of finding their way to Roaring Brook initially? Uh, well, I had uh, an agent, uh, Michelle Rubin at Writer's House, um, who's, who's uh, no longer an agent, but she was an early champion of the book. When I first started writing... Um, the, the the character it was actually my my first intention was for a younger uh, kind of book maybe a picture book or a very very early chapter book um, and the first draft was called the boy who hated reading and I showed it to Michelle and uh, th- that's what got her to take me on but it was her idea to to change the whole thrust of the book uh, and make it for an older audience she said that middle graders are really those are the kids who are at the age where they're deciding whether or not they want to become readers or not, you know, nine, 10, 11 year old boys and, and girls, of course. But, um, so she was the one that, that introduced me to the idea of writing a middle grade novel. So I, I changed the whole thrust of it. I came up with the character of Charlie Joe Jackson and the Charlie and the title Charlie Joe Jackson's guide to not reading was kind of the first thing that popped into my head. And I liked it because I, I said to myself, it kind of passes the smell test of if I'm dragging my kids through the life library or the bookstore, and they saw a book about how to get out of reading other books, they'd go, okay, maybe I'll take a look at that. That sounds that sounds up my alley. So 
I wrote the draft, and Michelle um, got it in the hands of Nancy Mercado, who was at Roaring Brook at the time, and um, she was an early fan of it. So I, I uh, worked with her on the, the first three and a half. She, she's at Scholastic now, but she was she's she was really the godmother of the series and shepherded it, uh, the first books through. Uh, and now in the new book, uh, Charlie Joe dispenses financial tips uh, for kids who don't want to invest much effort into making money. <laughs> he does, uh, yeah. Uh, one of them is call your grandparents on their birthday. They'll send you a check on yours. We talked about your son's reading habits a little bit, but have you also sort of been through the ringer with them when it comes to the topic of money? <laughs> um, to some degree, yes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to portray my kids as you know being horribly materialistic or spoiled but um i do live in a town where it's always important for kids to have the next thing um be it some sort of gadget or gizmo or phone obviously and um at a certain point you do have to tell your kids as, as we told ours that it's not just you know things don't just get handed to you you have to start paying your dues um you have to just start doing a little bit of, of work for for uh everything you have in this world and um, then it's up to the kids to either actually figure out a way to be industrious and work for what they want and what they get or to be more like Charlie Joe which is try to beat the system and figure out ways of earning money that don't necessarily involve any any work related activities be it the, the dog walking business he starts or um, helping out his dad on a, on a trip into the city at his dad's company um and my kids did a, you know they, they are they are a bit um schemer like and charlie joe like in in their in their ways of uh trying to avoid as much effort as possible in these kinds of things but at the same time I, they're not kids who insist on having all the latest fanciest things because uh they probably maybe because they know they wouldn't get them necessarily but that's not who they are. So, so Charlie Joe in this book, as in all the other books, is an exaggerated version of, of what I had in my own house. And sure. you have to exaggerate a little bit for comic effect. So that's what I do. Uh-huh. Um, so another one of uh, Charlie Joe's tips is that if you have to work, make sure it involves uh, something you really like. Uh, is this one that you feel like you've been able to accomplish? Uh, that's a good question. It is. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I do work in the theater business and you know, many people I know think it is a dream job and it, it, it in in many ways it is because I, I go to a lot of shows and and uh, I'm able to see tons of musicals and plays and, and and which is wonderful, but it's like any job I think once it does become your work and it does become something you have to do rather than something you do for pleasure, it's not it's not that it's not enjoyable anymore, but it becomes more work than play sometimes so you know i think you can ask a movie critic if they love movies now as much as they did when they were a kid they'd probably say no because they have to do it all the time and they have responsibilities that are connected to it so in a way i do have my dream job um but in a way you know half of a dream job is the job itself and charlie joe says things like i think cupcake tester and and uh, work in an ice cream store and these kinds of things. And I no one likes ice cream more than I do, but my hunch is that if I worked in an ice cream store after after five years, I probably wouldn't love it as much as I do now. So there's a little bit of that. And uh, have there been any sort of things that have uh, surprised you as you've entered the world of children's book publishing in the last few years? 
Well, that's a good question. I have to be honest. When I first started writing these books, even though I had three reluctant readers in my own house, I wasn't really familiar with the fact that there was, I mean, I, I think I probably was aware of the term reluctant reader, but it was interesting to, to discover what a huge part of the children's publishing industry it is trying to trying to find those magical books that reluctant readers will actually gravitate to and so it was just it was a, it was a lucky break for me that that the first series that I started writing was picked up as as something that could attract that kind of reader but I, I've also been surprised and grateful that you know, not just reluctant readers are involved with the series. Uh, people who love to read, kids who love to read, seem to like the books too. Not just boys, but girls. And I've been, I've been, you know, trying to be careful about making sure that the girl characters are as interesting as the boys' characters. In fact, I've written a, a book uh, that's going to be out next year uh, called "Katie Friedman Gives Up Texting," which is um, from the point of view of Charlie Joe's good friend Katie. Um, which was a great exercise for me to kind of take on to see if I could do it, but also a way of of giving her her own voice and hearing her side of the story. Um, and so the, just the, the overall effect of how passionate this business is about trying to get kids to read has been an incredible, you know, heartening part of the experience for me and, and, and something that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, readers get to hear a little bit of Katie's voice uh, firsthand in this book, too. Was that sort of a little a little test as well, just sort of trying out a, a voice there? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I, I have to say that when I decided to have chapters written by Katie in this book, it was not a conscious decision to um, see if it worked um, in anticipation of of her having her own book. I think it kind of was... That was somewhat of a result of the fact that I enjoyed writing in her voice, and uh, with Nancy's encouragement at the time, we decided to tackle a whole book in her voice. Um, but I, I, I think it's safe to say that if if it didn't work, you know, if I found if I felt that the chapters in Katie's voice in this Charlie Joe book were somehow not up to not up to his level of voice or interest, then I would have abandoned the idea of writing a book in her voice. But since I felt that I could do her justice, it seemed like a good next step to try to take on the challenge of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And now, do you feel like uh, humor is an important tool or hook uh, in getting some kids to, to give a book a try or at least one that's worked for you? I think it's, it's, it's well, for me, it's the only thing I, I could probably do. I mean, I, I, I read some you know, some science fiction books or fantasy books or utopian, dystopian. I couldn't. I don't have the imagination and the ability to conjure up these alternate universes that these people do, and I'm kind of in awe of them. But the one thing I can do is uh, write stuff that makes kids laugh. So I'm not under any illusions that I'm going to suddenly uh, become someone who can do something di- wildly different than that. I'm going to stick to what. I know how to do. And um, fortunately, I think kids really appreciate books that make them laugh, especially these reluctant readers that that the books were initially geared towards. Um, if they can identify with the characters, if they feel like they see, see themselves and what's going on, and if they can laugh while they're doing it, then I think uh, uh, I'm ahead of the game. So I'm going to stick to that formula. It's, it's, it's working for me so far. If it ain't broke, I ain't going to fix it. So... 
most of my stuff will continue to have humor, I'm sure. Okay. And uh, now you mentioned uh, the new book about Katie. Um, this is you know the fourth book in this series. Do you feel like uh, Charlie Joe will have some more of his own books, uh, more of his own story to tell? Uh, yes. In fact, I'm... Um I'm I'm just finishing up the the fifth of the Charlie Joe books, which is tentatively called Charlie Joe Jackson's Guide to Girls, because it kind of is once and for all a, a exploration and resolution of of these romantic travails that you alluded to in your intro. Um, I won't give anything away, of course, but he kind of figures out where his heart uh, really lies in some of these matters, and. Um, and there will probably be one last Charlie Joe book, a sixth one, that kind of wraps up his um, checkered but eventful middle school career. And then I'm going to write another book or two about people in his universe, too. I'm starting to work on a book about Pete Milano, who is Charlie's, Charlie Joe's ne'er-do-well friend, who is kind of always in trouble and, and a bit of a misunderstood but mischievous kid so i don't feel like i'm done with the charlie joe world yet at all and i and i am enjoying writing books in the voices of these friends of his because it's a nice way to kind of flesh out the the whole universe of charlie joe and and uh readers and emails have have kind of proven that kids are interested in that so i'm gonna keep doing it until i think the well is dry Excellent. Well, uh, congratulations again on the new book, and thank you for speaking with me. I really appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me on. Once again, I've been speaking with Tommy Greenwald, whose new book is Charlie Joe Jackson's Guide to Making Money, out in August from Roaring Brook. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. 